0: Welcome to a new episode of Bazaar. I'm your host, Sid. And this is part two to our series on synthetic biology. I know it's a a very interesting topic that we have in store today. And if you haven't heard part one, we spoke about a a lot of things, actually. So, I mean, if you haven't heard that episode, go back, listen to it, because it's very relevant to what we're going to talk about in this episode in that episode we spoke about you know what exactly is synthetic biology uh, you know how it works what are the different segments of synthetic biology and what are the different use cases i mean you know from yeah. synthetic biology what are the different industries that are going to be disrupted so we spoke about a lot of interesting stuff in that episode you know in this episode we will just be building on that last episode so we will be talking about you know because this is a very new piece of tech what are the risks, you know, that could emerge out of it? Because, you know, we've already seen in movies, I would say that, you know, the whole concept of biological warfare that is emerging. So, I mean, there's a lot of risks as well, associated with synthetic biology. We'll talk about that in this episode, we'll also cover what India needs to do, because, you know, again, this podcast is focused towards the Indian economy. And I don't know exactly right now that, you know, is, is India doing anything in this sector, like in synthetic biology. So, we'll touch upon that subject as well. So, I have Sachin with me again. Sachin, it's a pleasure to have you back, man. How, how have you been? Uh, good. Uh, said like like I think last
1: podcast really um, touched upon a lot of issues and it was just fun to like sort of revisit a lot of those topics with you.
0: Just building on that, I want to get straight into the trenches we spoke about, you know, how synthetic biology could disrupt a lot of sectors like, you know, food, agri-tech, you've got textiles, pharmaceutical industries, and, you know, big innovations that are coming in this space. And you also said that, you know, there are high school students who are able to now use this technology to create new life, new organisms. And we also spoke about, you know, who will own this technology and, and, you know, stuff like that. So, my next question to you is, and I think it's a very important question from a human species point of view, what risks do you see emerging from the evolution or development of synthetic biology?
1: Yeah. uh, So I think you're right. I think last podcast was really focused on what are the good things that come out of it, right? Mm. And the way we are going to engage in sort of a new future where biology becomes technology and technology becomes biology. (laughs) right so till now you know because we we were all like there are two different things like like my yesterday my like my dad was asking me like oh what happens when microplastics are just going to be in our bloodstream all the time right so people Mm. always thought that there'll be humans and there'll be like electronics and gadgets and technology which the humans will operate so there was always this distinction and that distinction is blurring now right mm. so when when we are talking about biology becoming technology we are looking at living organisms in sort of engineering terms where can we engineer the living systems within us right so that's one part of it and then technology becoming biology is where you have we are having more insights into what are these complex biological processes that that happen in living organisms and this sort of inspiring and enabling you know our technology right so both of this is going hand in hand and that is where a lot of risks also operate because you are sort of Mm. technology is getting
0: into our bodies into our dna so you're making changes to your own physical body like that's what's gonna happen Once you start, because like you you were talking about DNA sequencing, gene editing, that is going to happen inside humans, some of it, not all of it, but some processes might happen to the humans. And that is like, that might alter how you experience your physical self as well, right? I mean, that could change Hmm. as well. So yeah, like even now we have technology sort of within our sort
1: of biological or like coexisting with our biological systems, right? So there are pacemakers. Or you have like steel implants to have a prosthesis or something like that. So all these are examples where sort of technology is already inside our uh, bodies. But the kind of examples we need to really look at is even the possibility of using gene editing to alter the DNA of human beings, right? So there was this example of uh, this lady called Elizabeth Parrish. She developed two gene therapies, which she tested on herself and so her whole idea was aging is a disease and her vision of the future of health is that individuals can now sort of change, reverse that process ha huh, change their own sort of bodies you know wow and to start a new future where you reinvent the concept of health where you can con-
0: have control over it i mean right? basically what you're telling me is that lady was trying to be, become immortal that- no, I think it's, it's basically,
1: <laughs> I mean, she's the CEO of this company called BioViva, I think. So it's an anti-aging company. And uh, she she calls herself like the patient zero. And she mm. has been doing these experimental therapies on herself. So that's what I was saying. Uh, I mean, yes, there are a so lot of, like yesterday we discussed a lot of therapeutic effects of synthetic biology, mm. taking health. But here we are looking at enhancement this is possible for mental health issues i think somebody was trying to see its impact on treating ocd there's also uh, another person who was um, with this nasa biochemist which experimented again on his own body
0: the same thing like that guy also experimented with the aging thing or was it like something else I think he was trying to inactivate the production
1: of a chemical called myostatin or something so that he can build more muscle. Oh so it's a more of an aesthetic sort of yeah aesthetic sort of transformation you know like I think I was just seeing some of his interviews and things like that where you know I can just order dna online ship it to my house and then I can make changes to my body and how my body functions so uh, synthetic biology that way is a lot of power basically, because you are able to control life. If you go back in society, I think people always used to see nature as something which is more powerful than them. And, you know, I think tribal mm-hmm. societies have like the sky god and the rain god. But now, uh, we're at a time where you can control how nature interferes with our body. Um, and I think that's always been the dream for human beings, you know, to have that sort of power over your own body and, and, and mm. the
0: environment. So, I think we we did cover some of the good parts of, you know, synthetic biology in the, in the previous episode. What sort of risks do you see now? Because you're saying that, you know, human beings can control uh, what happens to their body, but you know, there's a lot of chance that because it's still under development, right? There's a still a uh, trial and error that's happening. So, things will go wrong. Like, it, you know, it's not going to be like everything will go according to plan. So, what sort of risks do you see if You know, people use it in a way that's not good for their body or, you know, even for the human species as a whole. I mean, Mm -hmm. what sort of risks are you seeing? Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, with these enhancement therapies and things like that, I mean,
1: things can go wrong, right? So, you could end up with sort of having faulty genes or unintended consequences, etc. So, I think that's where I think the regulation and the policy comes in. Uh, for instance, the California Department of Consumer Affairs started this investigation against Zeno because they termed it as an unlicensed practice of medicine. And I think in 2019, uh, California, the state of California had a law preventing companies from selling CRISPR kits designed to modify human DNA, right? So CRISPR uh,
0: kits, I mean, these were kits that were sold to the general public and they could use that kit to edit their genes. Yes. Is that so, how easy it is? Like, I mean, I yeah, could buy so, that. And can...
1: It is, it is. So I think there are so many YouTube videos also on people using CRISPR kits to sort of edit their genome, and to see its impact on the body, right? I mean, there's a lot of self-experimentation on enhancement.
0: Wow. That is so, like a radical uh, thought that, you know, I could yeah, buy a kit and then change my entire genome, the sequence? Mm. No, I mean, maybe we won't be able to change the entire
1: genome. uh, So, but maybe it could be targeting some medical condition or to target a particular uh, hormone or an enzyme, etc. But, I mean, there's always this risk of inaccurate editing or incomplete editing or, you know, unintended genetic changes which comes through uh, self-enhancement experiments. That's a lot of power. But if you look at it, when you have direct control over your genome, and its expression, you know, it, mm. it it gives you a lot of individual power. And I think that's where I think it's no more about like a pacemaker into your body, like technology. Uh, and you know, I think I also heard about like nano, uh, like very small robots, which will go through your bloodstream inspecting all your vitals and etc, and recording information real time. So those kind of things are there. But like, you can also go to like a very fundamental level where gene editing is possible where you can sort of tinker with your own sort of DNA so we are looking at risks which over a broad spectrum here right so one can be something like a intentional like a bioterrorist attack mm-hmm. where you target like uh, you know like the entire globe and like spread a new pandemic or you know that sort of thing uh, Two, like something like an accidental release of an organism into an environment and that's and an unintended consequence. So so yeah. here, I think when we look at the risks, we have to sort of distinguish it from the word uncertainty, because mm-hmm. uncertainty cannot be estimated, but risks can be estimated, right? So when we have this term called biosafety, it addresses like inherent risks of a certain entity to cause unintentional harm to humans or the environment. So you und- you have some idea of the issues that will come with it. And sometimes mm. it can create unintentional harm. And radically opposed to that, biosecurity is looking at intentional use of a certain entity to cause harm. And this is where the terrorism example comes in. And I think there is this TED talk called uh, How Synthetic Biology Can Wipe Out the Entire Humanity. <laughs> where this person is talking about how till now I think you know people had to make a atomic bomb or you know like there has been all these terrorist organizations or dictators or more mm. mongers sort of using technology but like now you can do it like from the garage
0: and you, you don't need a nuclear weapon anymore so you don't need to worry about procuring uranium or anything you need to just learn how synthetic biology works and if you are yeah someone who wants to really cause harm to the human species then I mean mm. there are people who have that knowledge and the power to do so
1: yes uh, and the democratization is important with its technology as I said there are DIY spaces there are a lot of hobby synthetic biologists especially in the US and there is a science and research and learning part of it and obviously I think the only difference between bioterrorist episode and a and an accident is just the intention part of it, yeah, right. And and we have had these like crazy cases. Like if you remember, like in two thousand one, there was these anthrax attacks where I think a media house got the anthrax virus in an envelope. It oh. was literally mailed to them, and I think people just opened it and people started getting anthrax. And there was such a an atmosphere of fear post that, right? Wow, this um, is like twenty
0: one years back.
1: Yes. Yes. In 2001. Yeah. I think the person who was suspected to do uh, this was someone who was working for the US uh, government in a research tank, and then people suspected Mm. he did that, and there was investigation against him, etc. Right. So those kind of things have happened. And in 2011, there was this instance where we had that deadly avian influenza virus and it caused a huge pandemic. And then there was these experiments done by these scientists where they were trying to increase the transmittability of the virus. So their study was basically how can you make the virus spread faster between organisms, right? Oh. So that is these kind of research. Crazy. I mean, uh, what, why would you do that? <laughs> To understand how a certain mutation or how a virus can transmit faster right and, okay. and, and uh, pr- probably you can study its impact in another sort of uh, example or something I think science and research like the ethical part is there but like science progresses for itself also yeah. at some level right so you yeah. want to see the possibilities of science and technology and this is where I think these interest these are interesting examples, like because mm. you go through a global pandemic or you work with a highly deadly anthrax virus and sometimes it can go wrong very easily. And, yeah, I mean... and and you were talking about twist bioscience and they have been printing out genetic material for even vaccine companies like Inovio. So they were doing that during the pandemic and they were just basically mailing out copies. And there was so many articles questioning this practice of how can you print out genetic material of viruses and just send it out to people? And how do you know what is the intention? How do you verify who is doing the right kind of research, etc.?
0: Mm. Because I'm guessing there's not a lot of regulation even in the US. I mean, if we were to talk about... I don't think there's a lot of regulation of how things need to be done in synthetic biology, right? I mean, right mm. now, it's just like people... No, there are. are. Like, I think
1: California was one example. So in the US... Uh, Like Twist Bioscience, there's probably like 30 plus gene synthesis companies and, you know, ordinary citizens can obtain genetic DNA. If you remember, the California law was only trying to stop human DNA being experimented with.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other options that are left, like apart from human DNA. Also, there's like animal DNA and then plant DNA. Like there's a, there's DNA in a lot of other stuff as well. So. Exactly.
1: Mm. Exactly. So there is a lot of these risks when it comes to intentionally using some of these against humanity, but also just accidental releases and to see how it interferes with the environment. So like last time we did give that example of these mosquitoes, which Mm. are engineered to kill off uh, the malaria transmitting mosquito species. Right. Yes, so they will mate with the their mosquitoes, and then you know the gene drive might be done, and it might be a great way to stop the spread of malaria. But at the end of the day, these mosquitoes are going to be released into the environment, and you have this yeah. new synthetic organism interfering with so many species. Because I think that's where biology is different from the rest of these experiments with electronics, etc. Because maybe you want this particular organism to do one particular function in nature Mm. but there is a whole different life cycle to this right so a lot of species are simultaneously the prey and the predator and it has a certain life cycle in it so like it's important to understand some of these species as interacting with the entire environment as as opposed to like oh a machine which is used to do this particular function because at the end mm. of the day some of these species are self-replicating they can reproduce
0: yeah. and I mean, just, just taking your example sorry to uh interfere here but i think the mosquito example that you gave i mean the purpose of that mosquito is to stop the malaria mosquitoes right i mean mate with the mosquitoes uh, female mosquitoes who who spread malaria and kill them basically mm. but yeah. what happens when all the malaria mosquitoes are dead and then you know these newly created mosquitoes are still there out somewhere so like i have three or four questions that i can just think right off the bat like you know how do you then retract these mosquitoes back right what is the plan to do that what happens when these mosquitoes start interacting with some other other species you know how do you even sort of estimate what kind of impact these mosquitoes are going to have like once they've done their job you know how do you estimate before releasing them what is going to be the impact so maybe they start mating with honeybees or maybe they start mating with (laughs) i I don't
1: think cross species mating will be an issue okay no i i that won't be an issue but as you said as you pointed out there is going to be a huge effects and sometimes even the effects that even the scientists cannot even anticipate hmm right and i think that's where regulation is very important because as i mentioned before school students have competitions to gen- to design new organisms and sometimes you know like their professor will come and say oh like your project is to like create this virus which will glow in the dark or like, <laughs> oh you have to make this bacteria which detects like spoiled food like the example the, the purpose might sound very innocent but at the end of the day school students are
0: designing organisms which do not exist in nature yeah I mean they're they're playing with the environment basically not the environment but the natural life as we know it you're practically playing with it and I don't know maybe I'm I I don't have enough knowledge to really comment on this but it does feel that you know after there's a line up to which you can play with nature because after a point you know we might not be able to reverse the effects so Hmm that is also like sure. one big worry that i have like just these two episodes that i'm recording with you i'm sort of thinking man this tech looks so good right but what happens when it gets into the wrong hands and what happens when it mm. is irreversible like if someone mm. created some organism which cannot be killed or you know there's no way of mm. retracting so, it. i mean so um, that's the thing i think that's where policy
1: and regulation is very important and and that comes to like the next step in our discussion. It's like, we really uh, need to understand the regulation and the policy side of this technology as much as we look at, oh, like what companies are doing and what are these new products that are coming in and what is more exciting. Yes, you can be carried away with the science and technology, but you need to have enough regulations in place to see to it that the risks are minimized and the benefits are maximized. And that is the whole purpose of doing this policy analysis of a technology. Right, and uh, as you pointed out, like evolution took thousands of years to maybe sort of change these DNA structures, right so, so and evolution has been a very slow process. There's a lot of trial and tests in nature, and you know, and some of these adaptations happen. However, now this can go at a radically different speed
0: mm. exactly yeah
1: and and that nature's way of testing these new features in nature etc you know, like this humans have always been doing this though like that's what <laughs> the main thing is like with dogs or with uh, the poultry right so chickens for instance it was it was a cross between two different species a, a, a bird which could not fly high and then progressively we did breeding to a point where chickens cannot fly much at all or like the different kind of species in dogs and the different kind of species with farm animals, because I think that you have to like bring down the aggression of these farm animals so that they can be easily domesticated. Mm. Right? In the wild, especially the male, like the bull or you know the male uh, part of the species will naturally be more dominant and be more aggressive. So you have to start taming it and to make it much more easier to domesticate. Right? Mm. So. Mm. Humans have
0: always had that they want to experiment with stuff like it's that innate it's more, desire. It's, yeah, it's number one, but also to the ability to control nature
1: to use it to our own advantage. Right. So, like cows, the amount of milk now cows produce, or the yeah. So I think and the kind of species and dogs, you know how. So all that has been seen from sort of an anthropocentric view and how we can sort of control nature to create things which are useful for us so it's just that this technology adds like a new dimension to it
0: yeah definitely and i mean i really want to talk about the policy aspect of it now so i mean you have mentioned that because there is so much gray area right now in synthetic biology policy plays a very big role in in regulating how the development of this entire field is going to look like because if you are not regulating this then I mean some people could really like it could really speed up things more than the humans can handle there has to be some sort of structured way of doing things and do you, do you want to talk about policy in general in, in synthetic biology yeah. and then we'll talk about you know what's happening from a Indian area. point of view so yeah I'm, I'm really excited to
1: talk about it because I have been part of the international Policy processes, and also at the national level. Uh, so, with the UN Environment, I've been working on issues like synthetic biology and digital science, digital sequence information, or DSI. And it, and like there are so many forums, uh, international negotiation forums, which are trying to understand the impact of these technologies. Right. So, if you look at the World Health Organization, is looking at it from a global health perspective. So Mm. what happens to something like the gene drive? How do we have responsible life science research and to create a laboratory safety manual for handling some of these technologies to see to it that there is not many experimentation on diseases which has been eradicated like smallpox. Right. So WHO is looking at it from a global health perspective. And then you have so many other organizations, right? So UN Convention on Law of Seas, which is looking at marine species, which are not yet understood as much as terrestrial species. Uh, World Intellectual Property Organization looks at uh, intellectual property, patenting, copyright issues. Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species looks at the trade of some of these synthetic specimens. Like, for instance, rhino horns. Now, there are synthetic rhino horns which are being traded in the global market. So how do you distinguish oh. which, what is synthetic and what is not synthetic? Then you have the Food and Agriculture Organization looking at it from a food security perspective. Right. So, so my study uh, for the UN environment was to look at these multiple policy processes and how uh, synthetic biology affects each one of them. I have to tell you, it's been an almost exciting research that I've been part of <laughs> just to see what is happening globally and how it impacts everything and how it's so cross-cutting also, right?
0: And you had uh-huh. to do like on-the-ground research for it, like had to actually go on the ground and, you know, talk to like scientists who are working in like synthetic bio facilities and stuff like how, mm-hmm. how was the process of this entire, like you have published papers on this as well, so... You know, tell me something about that. Like, how was, how did you do it? Like, you know, what was the process like?
1: So with a lot of these international organizations like UN Bodies, a lot of the information is actually sub- submitted by the countries. And parallelly, there are a lot of these scientific and technical committees which are established, which looks at specific aspects of it. So there'll be a committee probably just looking at the scientific part of it. There'll be someone, some committee looking at what are the domestic legislation measures in different countries. and one committee will look at horizon planning. So different aspects are being continuously studied by all these forums. And a lot of this information is supplied by member countries in itself. So there is I think there's abundant scientific literature already on this. To be honest, one of the biggest challenges, I'm glad you've asked this question, is that the huge gap between policymakers and the scientists. Oh, Right? Because the right. scientists are not really concerned about the policy and regulation.
0: In fact, <laughs> a lot of them might, yeah. might be averse to they would excessive be, regulation. They would actually be like you're hampering growth in this sector if you bring too much regulation. So that is also like the scientists would be concerned more with like freedom of experimentation than, yes. than regulation.
1: Yes, so freedom of scientific yeah. research, freedom of knowledge, right, uh, and science as an end to itself, scientific progress is an end to itself, where there is uh, humanity is, has a lot to learn and any like regulation all, always brings that fear that it's going to be curtailed. So yes, there are fears and the scientific community has been experimenting with a lot of self regulation. So they ca- have these conferences where they, they sort of feel that the community, the scientific community is in itself the best forum <laughs> to create uh, regulation yeah. as opposed to countries and as opposed to like a national governmental level or as an international policy process. And the policymakers like me are on the other end because we are trying to see it from law and regulation point of view looking at all the risks and everything that can go wrong and preempting all those situations and putting in checks and balances and informing the general public on what is happening and so there is a science policy sort of divide which we are trying to bring bring down through the UN environment there is a UN science and policy platform which is addressing some of those tensions. And the last webinar I was part of, I think we had people from the industry and people who are policymakers from different countries sort of having an open dialogue on what are the measures that are needed.
0: Win-win for both the policymakers and the scientists. Like, basically, you're trying to get everyone on the same page so that you could sort of like control the progress that's happening and make sure that, you know, it's not just happening at a rapid speed that becomes uncontrollable at some point. Yes.
1: Yes. So I think that has been the attempt at the international level. So there's a lot of attention on these technologies.
0: And is there any act like, like you, you are telling me that, you know, you have been studying, uh, you know, how these technologies work and there's a lot of like papers, which have been published, but has anything transformed into an act, which is like something very binding and that, that, that really regulates the way things are done or it's is it still in progress like you know there's no specific act but only guidelines right now yeah so
1: that's what i'm uh, saying sir like 30 years before or 20 years before nobody could anticipate all this hmm. right i mean it was all in science fiction book right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so we we have something called a bioweapons convention which oh. basically looks at like some of these biorisk assessment and management of technologies. But at that time, they anticipate all this no. So a lot of these international policy processes are simultaneously mapping where the technology is going and sort of keep pace with it because policy processes are always going to be slower than the progress in technology. So the, the attempt right now, is for all the policy processes to catch up to these technologies, understand where it is going, understand its impact, and start bringing measures which will address all the risks to society. And from an India level, uh, I was, as I said, I had the privilege to work on the Forsyth paper, which Mm -hmm. was released by the Department of Biotechnology. So the Department of Biotechnology in India was established probably in the 1980s. And, and, you know, it was mostly looking at genetic modification technology, particularly with related to agriculture, et cetera. So they had a project in 2019-20, where I was working on developing the Foresight paper to, to understand the science policy interface in synthetic biology. Uh, so, yeah, I was working with Dr. Balakrishna Krishapati on creating this Foresight analysis in synthetic biology. So, so how what, are, what developments that you want to anticipate, how do you include all the stakeholders, what is the responsiveness to some of these societal challenges, right? So it is probably an approach, which is very new for India. And
0: uh, yeah, because my my question was going to be to you that, you know, is India really doing anything in, in synthetic biology, because I have practically never heard of any such thing in India. And I mean, it's good to know that you know there is progress that's being made. So yeah, I guess I, I I will term it as an emerging industry. There are a lot of biotechnology
1: innovations which are happening in a lot of these centers, and I think cockroach milk and there has been some of these synthetic biology products which are touted as game changers. And
0: did did I hear that correctly? Cockroach milk.
1: Yeah, so apparently it's much more nutritional <laughs> than. Ordinary cow milk and things like that. It's a protein-rich alternative, and uh,
0: you know there are a lot of these new studies which are coming in. That sounds radical, man. Like I will never have, I will never have cockroach milk. It just doesn't seem right. I don't know, like <laughs> cockroach and milk don't really go. These are two words that I never thought I would hear them together. But yeah, yeah. like, like we have you know talked about in the previous episode as well. Anything is possible now. So. Yeah,
1: Yeah, uh, so there is, I think there's a lot of interest in insects and insect-based food. So when I was living in Geneva, all the supermarkets had uh, burger patties made of insect larvae. So like smashed insect larvae and the people are eating it. There's a lot of that environmentally conscious movement which says that insects are much more sustainable for the planet and a better protein source than let's say uh, beef, which is very like, detrimental to in terms of climate change.
0: Anyways anyways let's let's change the topic here because I'm getting a little bit of a creepy feeling <laughs> yeah. man I, I never thought that we'll be talking about that but what, what's happening from a like Indian point of view like are you seeing like in the next 5 to 10 years from a policy point of view what sort of regulations or what sort of policies are you seeing that could be affected in India?
1: I think the major questions uh, when we looked at India's policy and regulatory framework is one to have to understand synthetic biology and what constitutes the technology. Second is to see what kind of R&D priorities will be made. So it is important for the scientific community to be on the same page and they need to understand The benefits and risks which are associated with the technology and I guess the foresight paper is probably the first step to regulate the development and use of the technology considering issues relating to environment and human health and other socio-economical factors. So our our study basically involved a detailed analysis of how do we see the technology That is the first aspect. So we considered a lot of definitions of synthetic biology available, what is being agreed on international level, how the technology is being viewed by international policy processes. And then we started looking at specific, in an India specific context, we looked at what are the regulations we need for risk assessment, for regulating the benefits, and what are the Kind of non-state regulations which are already in place on synthetic biology.
0: Understood, man. I think that must have been like really, really. I mean, satisfying work for you because this is like something which hasn't been done, right? You're saying that this is the first paper on on synthetic biology. If I'm if I'm not wrong, like foresight, this foresight paper that you're talking about is it the first paper? Yeah, it is the
1: first exercise. Uh, by the department of biotechnology to start looking at uh, some of these emerging issues with respect to synthetic biology and it is going to take time i think with policy processes as as someone who works in the policy realm i understand that policy processes take a lot of time and uh, i have to be comfortable with that pace but i guess this is a first step and there has been public hearings based on it the paper is published on the ministry website i hope i can sort of share the link through your podcast and the platform. And so that people can understand what entails the policy and regulation of synthetic biology. So this is the start of the conversation for India. And as you Mm. rightly pointed out, maybe the industry is not yet become big in India, right? So although internationally, I think every year, I think I was hearing since 2018, every year investments have been doubling in the synthetic biology uh, and it's almost like it was 11 billion dollars or something in 2016 and now it is expected to be something like 100 billion dollars by 2025.
0: Yeah definitely because like I was also doing some research from my end you know trying to figure out how big of an industry this is going to be because like like we uh, spoke about in the previous episode right this ...is a technology which could disrupt a lot of traditional industries... ...like textiles, pharmaceuticals, agri-tech, food tech... ...and these are like massive industries... ...like these are like trillion dollar industries in themselves... ...so if there's a piece of technology... ...which has the potential to disrupt these traditional industries... ...I'm sure that the level of growth... ...the level of investments that are going to be pouring in... uh, ...in this sector is going to be huge... I don't have the exact numbers with me, but from an Indian point of view, I do feel that there's like, the India is still very, very far behind because like you mentioned, you know, there are like 30, 35 US companies which are doing something in this space. But when we talk about the Indian landscape, I I, I don't think we can name any, we could count the companies on our fingers. I think there there are probably more than, I think 30
1: companies is just companies which are doing gene synthesis and sending Mm. it to consumers I'm I'm sure there's like way more out there and and I think a global definition of what is synthetic biology also is important because I mean as much as CRISPR and gene sequencing and all these new computer softwares add to the possibilities of synthetic biology I, I think the world is also looking at coming up with a definition of synthetic biology and to sort of understand with it within the framework of a definition. And I don't think that has happened yet.
0: In India or in globally as well, like globally. Globally,
1: globally also, oh. I think those sort of conversations are still going on. Uh because the possibilities are endless and <laughs> the constituting yeah. technologies are also improving and getting better. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if I said this because when the human genome project was going on, it took a good decade or more synthesize the entire human genome but now you can do per species per day and such at a, such a cheap rate so technology over the 20 last 20 years technology has changed massively has become so much cheaper so much faster and so much more democratic yeah right as a policy maker i guess my biggest challenge is to keep pace with the technology to imagine its possibilities and yeah. to come up with scenarios which can be addressed through legal frameworks.
0: I think you should watch a lot of movies on, you know, bio-warfare and stuff because I think <laughs> you know, there are so many movies out there on this and slowly, like, you know, this is fascinating that people who created these movies, the movies are becoming true. You know, everything, yeah. everything that we thought was fiction is slowly turning into reality. So I think there is some lessons to be learned from movies. <laughs> and as yeah. a policymaker, you know, this is a very new way of <laughs> looking at it. You know, it, what happened in that movie and you could maybe possibly, it could open your mind in some way. I mean... Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and there's a lot of literature also. Like If
1: people are interested, I can suggest some books uh, like oh, The yeah. Genesis Machine by Amy Webb and Andrew Hessel. I think it's a very interesting read. Uh, Homo Duos, I think it's a pretty popular book by yeah. Walnoa Harari and he talks a lot about the possibilities of biology becoming technology. So, uh, yeah, there's a wide amount of literature and a lot of these techni- technology studies uh, going on and I hope to contribute my part <laughs> yeah. in, in, in the process.
0: That is the end of our two-part series on synthetic biology. You know, I've, I've learned a lot through these conversations with Sachin and if you want to read the policy papers and the research that was conducted by Sachin, the, the research papers, you'll find the links in the show notes. I'm also going to write a blog on this entire uh, subject, you know, so I will also uh, be promoting that on my LinkedIn page. So do check that out. You know, it's a very interesting field uh, definitely. And it is the future. I mean, it does, it feels scary. At least I'm, I'm a little scared when I see, you know, humans creating, things from scratch you know uh, playing god basically and i mean we are not the best judges of w- what's safe what's not safe and a lot of experiments can go wrong but it is the future and that is where regulation comes in right i mean that is where you grow in a regulated way so that human beings are are not subjected to anything which is unsafe so uh, i mean it's a very interesting field we'll see how the ball rolls in the future and uh, it's a short journey from fiction to non-fiction nowadays, I believe. And, uh, we will get Sachin back to talk about any developments in this field and, you know, keep tabs on this sector as a whole in India, in us, what are the opportunities out there? What sort of companies are, you know, doing stuff flow, uh, you know, build, building, uh, capitalizing on this opportunity, like twisted Biosciences is one of them, but there are many other companies which you can look at from an investing point of view. So, Take care and uh, we'll see you in the next episode.